Thank you for listening to NSL Double Talk. Never stop learning. At Never Stop Learning, we connect you with engaging experts who join you and your friends or colleagues in conversation at a location of your choosing. With NSL Double Talk, we are bringing the Never Stop Learning model directly to you. Each podcast features two experts in conversation on topics that range from global affairs to wellness to arts to innovation. Sometimes the experts agree, sometimes they don't, but we will never stop learning and never stop laughing. If you're kissing all day long, God bless you. (laughs) Don't stop. NSL Double Talk featuring Jane Lauder and Dr. Patricia Wexler. Their topic today is best practices for your skin from the best in the business. Jane is the global brand president of Clinique and has over two decades of beauty industry experience at the Estee Lauder companies, where she has served on the board for over a decade. A Stanford graduate, Jane is a business leader with a proven track record and an innovative marketer with strong management skills. She is also on the board of Eventbrite, the New York Public Library, and the Friends of the High Line in New York City. Jane is the granddaughter of the founder and namesake of the Estee Lauder companies. Dr. Patricia Wexler is an acclaimed and award-winning dermatological surgeon who has been featured in New York Magazine's Best Doctors Issues, has finished, refined, and reshaped the faces and bodies of countless individuals who rely on her cutting-edge expertise and honest, straightforward approach. Patricia is an associate clinical professor at Mount Sinai School of Medicine. She's a board-certified member of the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Dermatology and fellow of the American Society. She is a published author of medical research and has appeared on television shows including The Today Show, The View, The Oprah Winfrey Show, and 2020. We are so excited to welcome Jane and Patricia to NSL Double Talk. Hi, Jane. Hi, Pat. It's great to be with you. I was thinking today that the first time I met you was right before I got married and I came into your office to get some treatments to make my skin glowing before the wedding. So um, great memories. And how did it look at the wedding? It looked great. Good. <laughs> it, helped yeah. that I was, it helped that I was also much younger, but yes. <laughs> you look exactly the same. Thank you. So do you. Thank you. So I'm a big admirer of Clinique, but how long has it been Clean Beauty? So Clinique actually was the original clean beauty brand, and it started in 1968. And at the time, brands were really not fragrance-free or free of allergens. And so Clinique was the original clean brand that was free from fragrance, free from allergens. And over the years, we've continued to modify the formulas to take out any ingredients that could be damaging to skin or make skin compromised. So it's really been something that we've been doing for over 50 years. It's amazing. It's really, I admire the brand greatly and I see the way it's evolved. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, I have a bunch of questions for you, if that's okay. As an an expert, okay, so I'm going to ask you some beauty myths that I always think about and see what you think, if I'm absolutely crazy or if there's any validity. Okay, so some of the things that I always steer away from is things like chewing gum, sipping out of straws. I stopped running because I was thinking all of those things maybe add to aging or elasticity in your face. Is that just my being crazy or is that um, something that could actually be true? Well, it's sort of part A, B, and C. I think it's very bad to chew gum. I think when people talk about facial exercises, stress in one direction can be helpful and detrimental in another direction. So I'm really against the chewing gum, not to mention TMJ, which I think can also 
be provoked by chewing gum. I gave up straws because I had a lot of lip lines and I've never smoked a cigarette. And I can only attribute it to all the straws I've used in my life. So I'm not a big straw user. I've thrown them out. And it's good for the environment, too. And so it's good go. for yeah. the Well, I got metal straws mm-hmm. before I threw them out. So I threw those out also. And I tell my patients to stop using straws, especially after we've done all this work with CO2 resurfacing. And the third thing you said was, was running. Running. I don't think running is bad for you. You don't think like the constant jumping up and down? No, and, no, I don't think it's bad. I think exercise itself can be bad with a lot of weight loss. I think it redistributes the fat in the body. And I've seen very athletic women with very muscular faces with very little fat. And they're the ones who need fat in their face the most. So I think an athletic body can lead to redistribution of the fat. And they're the ones who need filler the most but don't want to have it. That's really interesting. So I've noticed that people who exercise a lot look a little bit older. I was attributing it to my myth of running <laughs> makes you makes your face sag. But no. you're saying the redistribution of fat. Yes. Is there anything anyone can do without doing fillers to help that? I'm not a big believer in having to put a lot of volume in the face. I think what's important is balancing the aerobic activity with core strengthening. Mm -hmm. So I like yoga, Pilates, and core strengthening activities, bar exercise, in addition to aerobic exercise. I think people who only do running have a disproportionate amount of muscle to body fat. So you have to balance your activity. So I'm a big believer in core and strengthening exercise. I do yoga and tennis. So hopefully that's a good balance. I think that's a good balance. And I like to do some aerobic, but I like doing Pilates and yoga. Okay. Obviously not enough, but (laughs) (laughs) no, you look fabulous. I'm, I'm going to just, you know, everything you say, I'm going to use as my plan going forward. But too much aerobic is not good for the aging woman, which I love. Thank you. (laughs) Everyone is so happy to hear that. All the listeners, I guess, would be happy as well as myself. Okay. Can I ask a couple more questions? That's what we're here for. Okay. okay, So Botox, I'm a fan of Botox. I think it helps a lot in my forehead lines. Can your skin get immune to Botox or too used to Botox? Or is that just, you know, when you start to see that you need it more often because you're used to the good results or is it something that your skin is doing? Yes and no. If people get Botox too frequently and women can always do things too frequently, Mm -hmm. if they come in every two months when they just start seeing a wrinkle recur, You can get immune to the toxin. It's not common, but little bits too often can lead to too much exposure to the toxin and you can get immune to it. Yet, on the other hand, you don't want the lines to come back because that defeats the purpose. So I think an average amount of frequency would be three times a year. And as you use it, the muscles become weaker and weaker and it should last longer. I started doing it in 1990 on my patients. So I have over 30 years experience. And for myself, I started to notice five years ago that I didn't have the muscle use anymore. The muscles become 
what we call atrophic. They get thinner and thinner so that you need less of it less and less frequently. So I have patients who used to come in every three months. Now they come every five to six months because the muscles are so small. So if anything, you should have to come less frequently over time. This is great. It's making aging sound much better. Thank you. Actually, I have a series of patients that have come in over 20 and 25 years, and their initial photo makes them look older than they look now. Oh, that's so fascinating. And it's fascinating, but it's the Benjamin Button. Yeah, I love that. Effect. None of these people had surgery. Their toxins work better. The fillers are more specific and more natural. And with lasers the way they are, the, the damage they had before has been reversed and they actually look better. That's really interesting. You know, because I think there's so many questions that we get a lot um, at Clinique in terms of, you know, even just with topical treatments, what age do I start really using anti-aging products? Because we see young women looking at buying anti-aging products starting in their 20s, which is much younger than many of us started you know, what is your advice to when do you go from topicals to more procedural, more fillers, et cetera? That's a great question because I tell my patients they should be starting eye creams before they need them. But yeah, absolutely. You know, the idea is preventive, not restorative or repair. So anti-aging should start with sunscreen when they're young and it should start with good antioxidant care when they're out in the sun and you know when you're teenagers you should be using antioxidants and you should be using moisturizers and good cleansers and just as you're working up eye creams in your 20s because that's the first place to go on the face is the eyes and preventive care and the best facelift is nothing if your skin looks old. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, we've seen you go around the world and you see the different cultures and how they approach aging. And in Asia, it's all about prevention and it's multiple steps and sunscreen all the time, every day. And sometimes in the U.S. or some other Western markets, it's oh my gosh, I need to fix this right now. And what am I going to be able to fix instantly with this repair cream? And so how to find the right balance between preventative and some repair. One of the other areas that we think a lot about in our business is, you know, we spend so much time taking care of the face, but the body, you know, there's so many people, I mean, I'm sure you get patients that come in and their face looks very young and youthful and they've been taking care of it and managing it. And then the rest of their body, they've haven't really put the time and effort into, you know, what advice would you give to people? It's a disconnect. Obviously, you have to take care of the whole body. And people don't want to take the time. They they complain about giving getting face creams, um, which is ridiculous. It's a five-minute procedure if you really do it efficiently. So when I give people recommendations, I'm giving them recommendations for neck and chest creams, and I'm telling them to protect their hands. And I think the best advice I can give somebody is to wear UPF clothing mm-hmm. because it saves them the time of using all that SPF treatment on their bodies when they can use lightweight UPF clothing and concentrate on their hands and their face and not use all the, whether it's chemical or barrier protection on their skin and still have attractive clothing to wear when they're wearing their athleisure clothing. Do you think, you know, because I think about this with all of us with germs out there that 
we're using a lot more hand sanitizers. Is that diminish the ability to protect your hands? Is it thin out the skin at all, or is it just is it fine? I think the sanitizers are controversial. It's chemical, and if you use it multiple times throughout the day, we don't know what that does to the barrier protection. We know what it does to the barrier protection of the skin. It disrupts the barrier protection of the skin. So it's going to age the skin and possibly make it more likely to get infected or braided. I think we have to be careful how much we use that. It doesn't follow our clean beauty mm-hmm. goal. I know. So what, is, what does one do, though? Because, you know, we all want to be using less chemicals, having, keeping clean beauty, protecting ourselves. But then you also have the realities of flu season, cold season, wanting to protect from that. It's, it's kind of tough. I think it's a matter of putting barrier repair on their skin after the using. That's, the, a good, that's a really good recommendation. Yeah. It's easy to carry a little tube. There are sample sizes even in the mm-hmm. drugstores of barrier protection. And after you use your sanitizer, just put a little barrier protection on your hands. That's great. That's great advice. What do you think about the difference that in Europe they have 1,800 products on the environmental protection list, the EWO list of toxic products, and in the United States we have 40? And how do we know really what we consider toxic for us versus somebody else and what they're talking about in Europe? Yeah, I think there's a lot of confusion. First of all, there's confusion between ingredients that are safe for your skin, meaning are not going to cause any health concerns. And then there are ingredients in terms of environmental safety. And right now there's a lot of confusion and the lists merge the two. So there could be something that is called out as an ingredient that's harmful, but it might not be harmful to the skin. You want to make sure you're also doing well for the environment, but you want to make sure you understand the difference. And I think sometimes consumers get confused by that. I think the other confusion. And of course, I can't speak to all the different brands around the world, but most of us do so much testing and clarifying of ingredients and being able to create formulas that really always are safe. None of our formulas are ever not safe for the consumer because of all the testing we do. And then it's a lot of people getting concerned. They're hearing something, they're reading a rumor. And so I think it's a a lot about educating yourself, understanding how companies formulate. And I think there's a lot more information now on brand websites to be able to understand how people formulate, what is the rigorous testing they do, and getting more information. And I think laws are going to be different around the world, but most global companies have to be in compliance with all laws around the world. So if you think about that, we're all working to drive the best consumer experience wherever we are. Right. It's very interesting. You have to decide if you're worried about how it affects you or the environment or even the workers who are preparing the products. It goes all the way down the chain. So when we say it's cruelty-free, we're not just talking about the end product, but how it's tested to go into the product. Absolutely. There's so many layers. It's a fascinating topic because like food, you know, we spend a lot of time looking at safety, ingredients, testing, making sure the formula is high quality, works well. So I think there's a lot of pieces that go into it. And I think it's about, again, educating yourself. And then, you know, and I think we've also as companies been listening to consumers and being more transparent with 
all the different processes. In the past, no one cared about how something was made, and we didn't spend the time sharing all of the practices we did. But now the consumer is more interested in getting more information. And so that's one of our objectives and our jobs is to share that with the consumer so that they can feel both well-informed and feel good about the products they use. What percentage of consumers do you think are looking for clean beauty versus traditional that's a hard thing to quantify because I think that if you ask a consumer, do you care about clean beauty, they're going to say yes. If you ask a consumer when they go into a store what they're looking for, they're going to start with their main skin concern and the things that are important to them. And I think it's a hierarchy of information where efficacy always starts at the top. You're coming in, you're looking for a product, you need it to solve whatever concern you have. Then you go on to look at the ingredients. Okay, yes. They're all safe. And, you know, third, oh my gosh, they're, you know, doing well for the environment. They're sustainable packaging. I think it's a hierarchy of information. I think people are more and more attuned to being safe for your skin and safe for the environment, but it has to work as well. So it's, it's, you know, it's a complicated topic because each consumer has a different aspect or a different way of looking at the categories. It's very interesting since there is no definition of clean beauty. I think some brands are saying they're chemical free when they're not chemical free. I think there's a big myth that chemicals are bad because all chemicals start from a natural ingredient. And you know this better than anyone as a doctor that chemicals are not bad. And so I think that, that that's a myth as well. And, you know, we think about consumers for years and we don't regulate natural or organic either. There's no regulatory body around natural and organic in cosmetics. And so that's confusing too, because natural doesn't necessarily mean safer. You think about some natural ingredients out there like poison ivy, that's not safe and good for you. So that's why I think there's a lot of confusion out there that it's better because it's natural, it's better because it's organic, it's clean, it's chemical free. But I think that's where you have to um, educate yourself a little bit more and understand the difference. Right. Right. So I think it's a very complicated hierarchy, and um, I think not everybody's as clean as Clinique. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, you know, but every you know, there's so many great brands out there that are doing amazing testing and ingredient sourcing, and so I think that there's a lot of um, options for consumer. Of course, I'm biased because I think Clinique is the best, but there are so many other great brands out there as well. Yeah, there are. It's a big issue in clean beauty are fragrances. Yes, absolutely. And fragrances are a big issue. You know, the fragrances are hormone disruptors or can be synthetic fragrances. Certainly that's also an issue because are they affecting the hormones? Are they bigger than the natural hormones to deregulate? It's an issue. I would never have a fragrance in a skincare yeah, brand. But most brands that have fragrances in them, most of the fragrance levels are so low that they mm-hmm. wouldn't even affect anything. So that's, I mean, a lot, that's, again, it's about not just does it include it or not include it, it's also at the levels of how high the fragrance is in the product. Right. But that's true for some of the other products listed on the... Absolutely. It's all about what percentage of the ingredient is right. in the product and, and you know, you can look at the right. ingredient list and, and tell. Right. But it's easier to eliminate it. Well, of course. Everything's easier to eliminate. Um, it is. <laughs> I mean, it's changed tremendously since the first product that I developed 25 years ago. Yeah. I mean, as far as everything's concerned, it's changed tremendously. It's much more difficult to develop products now 
than it was 25 years ago. Yeah, I mean, there's so many more restrictions, but I also think then the consumer knows that they're much more protected than they were years ago. Yeah. I agree with you. It's an evolving art. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. So Pat, since you obviously are the expert and know everything that is new, (laughs) new, (laughs) well, new in procedures and products and injectables and um, you know, I'm partial to wondering, you know, things like cool sculpting and all these new technologies. What do you find out there that is the most exciting? I think the future of dermatology is stimulating the body to repair itself. So almost every technology we use is using some sort of heat to stimulate the body to repair. So we have microneedling, we have platelet-rich plasma, We have radio frequency, we have ultrasound, but each one is linked by the fact that the heat is simulating collagen and elastic tissue. LED is using light to stimulate the body to repair. And and cosmeceutical, the same thing is happening, whether it's plant DNA or whether it's using a retinol to stimulate repair or synthetic vitamin C, which is going to be kinder to the natural pH of your skin. It's simulating cell turnover of your cells to repair. Vitamin E works in conjunction with vitamin A to give you cell repair. So I think that's the key to cosmeceuticals. It's the key to technology. Every single thing we do in the office, whether it's resurfacing, all therapy, fraxel, radiofrequency microneedling, platelet-rich plasma, they're all causing cell repair. And that's using your body with the technology to do non-surgical repair of the skin. I think probably... One of the biggest benefits of having a practice and seeing patients is that you're able to figure out the right solution for their skin and their needs. And it's not one size. So the patient doesn't come in and you say you must use this therapy. You, you really customize it to their skin. It's absolutely customized not only to their skin, but the amount of time they can spend in repair. All therapy has no downtime. Fractional CO2 can be 10 days. One is deep muscle and deep dermis. The other one is superficial and needs more time for repair, but it does fine lines and one is doing muscle tightening. So it's very specific to what that patient needs. And when I developed my eponymous line, it started with having LED in the office and we looked for technology that mimicked LED, which stimulates collagen and elastic tissue. So you can take a pharmaceutical and mimic what we're doing in the office and do it at home. LED treatments that you do at home are similar to the ones we do in the office. So home therapy is as critical as what we do in the office because if you're just doing a treatment once every two years, you're going to look lousy at the end of the two years. Absolutely. I think it's topical as well. I think one of the things that we spend a lot of time talking about, and it's really kind of the idea behind Clinique in 1968, but also today, is about each skin is different and we have to customize a regimen and a routine for your skin. Because, you know, a lot of times people ask, oh, what are you using? Your skin looks great. But it's about what's right for each individual skin, as well as the compliance. We know today that there's so many people, you know, I, I, I don't know how it's possible 
that people still go to sleep with their makeup on, but it happens more than we know or don't use an eye cream, et cetera. So compliance, I think, is the other big piece. People are not using products as they're intended to use and hoping for better results. So I think, again, the same way that you would do a treatment, you would expect them to follow the protocol. You would follow the protocol. We, we need to do that with right. topicals as well. One eye cream isn't the same as the next. Exactly. If you have puffy eyes, it's completely opposed to the treatment for wrinkles. So you have to use a product specific for your problem. And that's where you need good advice and good products. Mm-hmm. Oh, I absolutely agree. I think that's the key. And you can use clean products. You can use a botanical. You can use something with caffeine for puffy eyes. It doesn't have to be something that's whipped up in a mm-hmm. lab. Or you can use something that's got a long, fancy chemical name that's going to stimulate elastic tissue, but they both work. Yeah, that's great. What's new and exciting in your line specifically? I think a lot of what's new and exciting in the cosmetics world is a lot of what you've spoken about in both how you develop your line as well as your office, that there's so many new technologies around being able to use ingredients that originally came from the dermatologist's office, whether it's retinols or vitamin C or different vitamins and being able to combine them in new ways to drive efficacy. And I think the science is getting better and better in terms of refining in the levels and the targeting of different treatments. And I think that's the thing that I think is um, most exciting is the targeting of treatments for different individual concerns and really being Mm -hmm. much more specific about that versus trying to put, you know, the kitchen sink into a product. If it's trying to do to you one concern, it can have 10 times the benefits by treating one concern. So I think consumers need to think about that as they're looking at products and their ingredients, especially, you know, a lot of people want to have SPF in all their products, which is great. And we all love that. It's much easier to use. However, it takes up a large portion of the formula that could otherwise be with more actives. And I have to be honest with you, I like to use the SPF as a separate entity because you get a higher SPF and coverage. And since you have to reapply it at some point during the day anyway, you might as well use your SPF separately and get a better potency of the products that's therapeutic. I absolutely agree. Well, thank thank you, Pat, for all of your advice. I'm so excited. I'm going to go back to my team at the office and share with them that chewing gum and straws are not recommended by the famous Pat Wexler, and they're not going to think I'm crazy anymore. And more Pilates. Yeah, exactly. More (laughs) Pilates, more yoga. It's perfect. Well, I was really excited to do this with you today, and I had a lot of fun. Thank Thank you you for having me do this with you. For conversations you can't ignore, come back every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. Subscribe now and never stop learning.